Welcome back to the Portugal podcast. My name is Matthew Marshall and this is another special edition of the podcast, The Mission, back on the road in Portugal, part two. If you missed part one, I advise you to check that out before getting started with part two. This episode starts on Valentine's Day in the third division game in Canelas, which is on the southern side of Porto between Canelas 2010 and Oliveirense, two clubs at the top of the table in Group A in Liga 3. I wanted to make clear that some of the clubs I'm going to have done very, very little or next to no research due to the speed I'm moving around, due to a lot of other commitments that I have. So just to give you a bit of background information on Canelish, they are well known, <laughs> notorious, you might say. They're a newer club formed after the original Canelish went bankrupt and they rose up the divisions very quickly, but some of that was due to uh, opposing clubs refusing to play them because of violent and intimidating behavior. You can see some of that on YouTube. And uh, the most uh, notorious incident was one of their players, Marco Gonçalves, who was sent off early in a match against Rio Tinto. But then he was arrested for kneeing the referee in the face. He was banned from football for four and a half years, given an 11 month jail sentence, which was suspended. So unfortunately, a lot of the publicity surrounding Canelish <laughs> negative to, uh, to say the least. When I went there, I knew about that, but I wasn't really aware of any of the recent developments with Canelish. When I spoke to the owner's wife, I wasn't aware who the owner was. I know now <laughs> that it's uh, Fernando Madueta, who is, uh, again, I don't want to keep using the word notorious, but let's just say he's well known. But his wife was nice to me, he was nice to me, so I'm going to respect that. I've got nothing negative to say. Just keep in mind when you listen to the podcast and particularly my, my short chat with uh, Fernando that that's the, that's the context of it. Now just to give you a bit more information, the club was recently bought by a Portuguese-American businessman, Cesar de Paso, and he retains 51% of the shares and Fernando Madueta has 39% with 10% going to the club. Madueta was actually a player for the club for almost 10 years and he is also known as Macaco and the leader of the Super Dragoes, the ultras who support Porto. He was banned by the Portuguese Football Federation in January for four and a half months. Well, he was banned quite a few times. He went to court to appeal the decision and of course anyone who knows the Portuguese judicial system would know that once that happens, pretty much it just goes on forever and uh, you can resume normal activities. So that's what's happened with, uh, with uh, Fernando. So that's just, I guess, enough background information to lead you into this one. So I hope you enjoy it. And this was the start of a pretty busy day as uh, I took off after this match to head down to Aruca and then down to Lisboa. Well, the show goes on. I've crossed the mighty Dudu River, found myself in Canelish, which is a suburb just south of Porto. I'm at the game here between Canelish, who are hosting Oliverens. Both teams at the top of Group A in the Liga 3, and a win for either side and enough goals scored. We'll see the winner take top spot on the table. So it's a huge game. I've managed to speak to the wife of the owner of the club, who's told me that 
uh, her husband should be kind enough to give me a few minutes of his time after full time to learn a bit more about this club. Hopefully that all comes to fruition. Supporters have been coming in pretty close to kickoff time here. Three o'clock kickoff on a Monday afternoon. A little bit of a strange kickoff time. Most of these supporters, I'm assuming, live pretty close by to this stadium. Canellish in front. What a goal that was. The ball's come over into the box. And Schwal Magnol, tall Brazilian striker, has volleyed it into the net. Left-footed. That was a beautiful, beautiful top-class strike. And he's loving it, understandably. Someone's giving him a flower. <laughs> a rose, it looks like. And he's going to come and give that to his girlfriend. Oh, isn't that touching? Or his wife. Gives her a little bit of a kiss. What a beautiful goal that was. Canelish in front, 1-0. And there we go, 2-0 Canelish. It was Sung Choi or Pedro Alves. i got no idea what his name is. But he's released Magno, who is a left-foot specialist, and he made a little bit of space for himself. Looked like he took it a bit too wide, but he's hit it again with that left foot, and he's found the net. Fully deserved lead here. Really, that's the obvious play. You just have to get the ball to Magno, try and get him one-on-one. He's a big, big, tall, strong guy. And they just should keep doing that for the rest of the game, really. Uh-oh. It's a red card for the right-back, Thiago Silva. He's come in with a pretty heavy challenge. And the referee's giving him a straight red card. You could see it coming. We've got about five minutes to go here. There's no scoreboard. That's going to change the game significantly, you would think. No VAR here. He's gone. Half time. Canellish, two. Oliver Ense, nil. Magno, the first goal was just a peach. Second one was some pretty ordinary defending. I mean, you would have only had to spend a few minutes analysing Magno to know that he's a left foot specialist and you've got to drive him towards his right foot. And Tiago Silva, right back for Canellish, sent off with about five minutes to go. So they're down to 10 men. And you get the feeling there's going to be a lot of action in the defensive half for Canellish in the second half. Visitors starting to dominate possession more and more now. Canellish started the first half quite well, but they're starting to get pinned back more and more. And there it is. They've got back into the game. And it's Gonzalo Pimenta. Right back in the right place at the right time to slam it home from close range. Danger, danger for Canellish now. Bolivarense coming home strong here. It's all happening here. I'm sure we must be into added time. Oh my God. The referee has awarded Bolivarense a penalty. That's incredible. Canellish players here going ballistic. We might have another red card, I would say. 
I mean, the ball's come across the 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 18-yard box, and it was one of those ones you could see coming a mile away. But that really should have been cleared before it got to that position. Rafael Melo, the Canelish goalkeeper, has a chance to be a hero here and save this penalty. And here we go. Joel Pereira steps up and he's buried it. To snatch a point for Oliver Dentz. Chairs are getting thrown as I see a Canelo supporter with a full face tattoo get down towards the, uh, the technical area. And that's a final whistle. 2-2, two goals to Magno, opened up a 2-0 lead, but then that red card to Thiago Silva really, you had a feeling this was going to happen, and that's the way it played out. Disappointing, obviously, to concede that equaliser so late from a penalty that was preventable, to say the least. But an enjoyable experience for me here in Canellas, certainly a, a different experience to, uh, to your top flight games. Okay, 2-2. I'm here with Fernando, owner of Canellish. First of all, commiserations. That was a tough way to uh, to draw the game. I mean, a couple of goals from Joao Magno, the first goal, just beautiful. But I guess that red card made it difficult for you. Yeah, we, at, until the the red card, we are uh, win 2-0 and we are uh, good in the game. But then we we only defend, defend, defend. And uh, Oliverians uh, scored two goals and... It's, it's, it's football, no? Exactly, yeah. You could kind of see, see that happening in the second half. I'm interested in the history of this club. Obviously, the name of it gives a, a bit of a clue. The Canellish... Uh, 210. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit of the history of this club. Yeah, uh, we have... Uh, uh, this is a second club, you know. Uh, the first club, Canellas Gaia, uh, stopped in uh, 206 because uh, the Portuguese uh, Republic uh, imposed, how we said, the taxes, you know, taxes to the... Financial problems. Yeah, financial problems. They, they, they close and we take the, the club in 2010 and we, we start in the, the last uh, division yeah. and, and we grow up, grow up, grow up until, until third league. I am the leader of uh, Super Dragons, uh, FC Porto supporters and... Uh, is that we take the club until there and we are fighting with other clubs to to go to second league well, you're close huh yeah yeah you're close, close but it's a tough a tough a tough uh, tough process and tell us about the finances how difficult is it obviously looking at your squad yes, you because, have free transfers because, yeah, loans because, yeah because the, the our our players we have uh, good players trees from Brazil from Colombia from African African guys but it's a uh, difficult uh, for us because we don't have uh, support from uh, the league yeah the league and the the, the local government you know mm-hmm. we don't have support of them and it's a very difficult uh, to compete
half-time in Aruka, and it's Maritimo with a 2-0 lead. It didn't take long for them to go in front. Stefano Beltrama down the right wing, crossed into the danger zone with Ali Alipur on hand to convert from close range. Alipur had a couple of more chances, but the Iranian striker couldn't convert. And then the visitors were given a penalty. It was Arsenio with a high shot on Matias Kusta off the ball during a corner. Referee checking the VAR, awarding the penalty with Joel Taguel. His penalty was saved, but he was on hand to get to the rebound and smash it into the net with authority. They really should have gone 3-0 up. They had quite a lot of promising chances on fast breaks with overloads, but constantly the final ball was lacking. There was a huge fracas going on here with the coaching staff from both teams. I mean, there was one coach from Maritimo just going ballistic. He wanted to fight one of the Iruka coaches had to be kept apart by a couple of security guards he's been sent off and that's one thing I've noticed on this trip actually is just how much aggression there is towards touch judges referees other coaches from players on the bench it's really quite excessive if you think it's just in the third and second division well <laughs> what just happened here would uh, would show that to be incorrect but gee, what a beautiful part of the world. This is Aruka. It's in the middle of a huge valley with mountains all around, green. You can just smell the fresh air. I hope that I can come back to this part of Portugal another time. I'll spend a couple of days here just taking my time to see what's going on and just relax. Interesting story with Aruka, actually. It was one of the early kings of Portugal. His daughter was uh, in a monastery here. And the monastery became quite prominent and was one of the reasons why the population of Aruca became so large. Aruca manager Armando Evangelista making a triple substitution at half-time. That gives you an idea what's going through his head. He's not happy with what he saw in the first half, and why would you be? You really feel they need to score at some time soon, or they're going to get hit on the break, and it's going to be 3-0. Well, the game has turned here, 56 minute. It was a look at a winger, Bukia, out on the right-hand side. The ball looked like it had gone out. And then the Maritimo winger, Enrique, he's got involved in a stupid challenge. And he was already on the yellow card. And he has been dismissed. He's taken a long, slow walk off the pitch. That was just stupid. So he's put his team... In a difficult position now, as the free kick comes in from the touchline. Ooh. It's, it's been headed towards goal by Marquez. Striker that came off the bench at half-time. So it's game on now for sure. Aruka turning on the style now. They just had a glorious chance to get back into the game. It was Abue Kouassi with the shot. It looked like it was going to nestle right into the corner of the net, but Vitor Costa in the right place at the right time to block the shot. 71st minute, still 2-0 to Maritimo. Aruka having pretty much all the play, as you would expect with a man up at home. That's the closest Aruka have come to a goal this evening. The ball has come in from the right wing. And it's Bukia, who's hit the post 
difficult shot, but he executed it quite well. And we're into the 77th minute here, so time running out. And that's what I was talking about. Ali Alipur, he's done the, the Mario Balotelli show me a muscle celebration. And it was just a simple goal. Andre Vidigal, cross from the left wing, sailed over the defender. And it's Ali Alipur with his second of the game. Nice header, enough power on it to beat Victor de Braga. And that's game over. Aruka's defence showing why they're in the relegation zone. Sizable turnout here for the the visitors. I'm not sure if they're Mededa locals living in Aruka or if they've travelled over with the team. It's pretty simple. Maritimo are just better than Aruka, especially in midfield and attack. Aruka really quite toothless. They've huffed and puffed, especially after the visitors were reduced to 10 men, but they're in the relegation zone for a reason. This will be the fifth straight home defeat. And if you're fighting relegation and continually losing at home, you're pretty much going to go down. It's disappointing for Aruka, but they've just been outclassed here by the better team, and they haven't really been able to make their extra man advantage count. Traffic jams, pollution. People, you wonder how they got their driving license. It's got to be Lisboa. Estadio Jose Alvalade. My first time here, I can't believe it's taken me so long to get here as Sporting. Hosting Manchester City in the round of 16, first leg. Very, very tough challenge for the Lions. Coming off that 2-2 draw in Porto. A bit of a surprise in the starting lineup. We've got Ricardo Escayo in. And Fedal is on the bench. Which means we could have someone out of position, which is going to be bad news against the likes of Raheem Sterling. Riyad Mahrez. They're absolutely pumping the PA here. It's very loud. Stadium is close to capacity, as you can imagine. I'm here with Tom Condit. Tom, how are you feeling ahead of this game? Massive game against the Premier League leaders. Oh, I've been looking forward to this game for months, Matt, ever since the draw was made. I think it's a little bit of a free hit for Sporting. If they get beat, no one will be surprised. That's what I expected. But, you know, who knows? Man City may be a little bit overconfident. If they are, maybe Sporting can take advantage. Interesting also... Some side stories here. We've got three Portuguese internationals in the city side, of course. Ruben Dias, João Cancelo and Bernardo Silva. So they will be quite comfortable playing here, you would imagine. Fantastic atmosphere here. And we're about a minute or so away from kickoff. And let's see what's going to happen in Lisboa. Seven minutes in, City have the ball in the back of the net. 
it's really a little bit difficult to see the players because the press area here in the Alvalade is right up the back. It was a nice little bit of interplay on the left wing. You're seeing Bernardo Silva push up next to the likes of Phil Foden and Sterling to create overloads. Then you had Kevin De Bruyne hanging around and Mares occupying Mateusz Reis. So it's very difficult to stop them, City, once they get in and around the edge of your 18-yard box. It's gone to VAR, so this could be a goal. It's taking a very long time, which is worrying the home supporters. It's a goal. And it's a goal. City have gone close to extending the lead. Gee, it was a beautiful move. They found Sterling on the left wing. Balls come into the box and John Stones has headed it wide. Oh, wow. What a goal. Man City have doubled their lead in the 17th minute. It was a corner after De Bruyne had a shot deflected and it's fallen to Bernardo Silva who has just crushed it on the half volley off the bar giving Adan absolutely no chance I mean Sporting actually reacted pretty well after going behind but you're already starting to see that Ricardo Eshkayo has zero chance of stopping Riyad Mahrez which is going to be a problem all game long. The Lions are in huge trouble here. But these are worrying signs because it could be 3-0 sooner rather than later. And there it is, it's 3-0. 30 second minute and it was just so obvious before the game that Ricardo Escayo was going to struggle against Riyad Mahrez. I mean, there was one section there where Escayo just fell on his face. Completely bamboozled. And Mahrez has got the cross low into the box and it's fallen for Phil Foden who had time to just embarrass Adan and finish from close range. So this could get extremely ugly. You can't see any way City are not going to continually exploit this avenue. I mean, they're just so good at creating overloads. It's just beautiful to watch, really. Maybe not for the uh, 40,000 or so supporting supporters here, but as a neutral or a football lover, it's just beautiful to watch what City do. It's just like a game of chess, and they're constantly creating overloads and targeting weaknesses in sporting's defence. And it's 4-0. I mean, yeah, this is getting ugly. There's people leaving the stadium, Abby. It looks like we've got some supporters. <laughs> but again, it's just a simple move. Overloading on the left wing now. And it's uh, Raheem Sterling. Who's gone to the byline, cut it back for Bernardo Silva. And his shot has taken a deflection and gone past Adan. And that's 4-0, just before half-time. The second half has barely started, and it's 
John Stones, Riyad Mahrez just toying with Eshkaya on the right wing. Plenty of space for Kevin De Bruyne to just pick his spot at the far post where it's Bernardo Silva. And he's headed the ball down into the ground. Past the dunk. They're doing a VAR check as Ruben Amorim takes off Pot, who you would have to say is looking so far off the pace he shouldn't have even been on the field. Ugarte coming on, so that's some, uh, some uh, goal threat sacrificed for some stability. Damage limitation here. So it's offside. That was lucky. Bernardo must have been just offside as the cross came in. Well, ain't going to be no VAR for this one. 5-0. In the 59th minute, and it's Raheem Sterling. He's fired it into the top corner from distance. And if it wasn't ugly already, it certainly is now. I mean, Sporting can't even get close to scoring. They can't get anywhere near the 18-yard box, really. It's just men against boys. 68 minutes in here, and you'd have to say... Sporting looked just completely demoralised. And why wouldn't they be? They'd just been given the runaround almost from the get-go. They had a little spell of pressure before with the ball bouncing around the penalty area, but they still couldn't get a, a decent shot away. Going to be a long 23 minutes to go here for the Lions. At a time here, as you could almost hear a pin drop now, in the Estadio Chelsea Alvalade, a lot of sporting supporters, as you can imagine, already on their way home. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people expect the City to win this match, but not as easily as they have done. Tom, when was the last time you saw Sporting so outclassed? First game in the Champions League this season. <laughs> but uh, that was uh, Sporting had a bit of excuse then. It was in the same stadium they played against Ajax in the group stage. They lost 5-0, I think, or 5-1. And uh, at that stage, you know, maybe we thought that Sporting were a little bit out of their depth. They came back really well that game. They had a few excuses. They were badly depleted by injury. They did well in the group stage. You know, they proved that they deserve to be in this competition. But it's one thing to deserve to be in this competition. It's a completely different thing playing against Manchester City. You know, it's just been a masterclass by them, hasn't it? Too, too good. Yeah, there's not really much more to say here. As the supporting supporters start to rise and show their support for their team, despite getting hammered, that's great to see. Football supporters come in many shapes and sizes, and good to see the ones that have remained here showing their support for sporting.
I'm in Obidos, one of my very favorite places in Portugal. It's a small city, town, you'll call it now, surrounded by fortifications, massive walls that have been here for hundreds of years, still intact. I'm standing on the southern tower here, which gives you just a fantastic view over Obidos and the castle keep at the other end of it. This area has been populated since prehistoric times. They have found Celtic artifacts here, so they know that the Celts were living around here. And of course, then the Romans came through, the Germanic tribes, and then the Moors. Now, one thing to understand about Portugal is that the Romans really had no need to fortify a lot of these places. There were just no threats, really. I mean, they dominated the coast. And these inland areas, they were not going to face any threats from, from inland because they controlled, obviously, all that territory. So most of the fortifications you see were built by the Moors. They obviously <laughs> had a reason to defend themselves, as they would find out around 400 years later after moving into this part of the world. And then the Christians, obviously, once they took over, they redeveloped and rebuilt a lot of these places and added castles and things. So pretty much all the castles you see in Portugal have that history. And one little interesting thing about Obidos is Ginja, which is a cherry liqueur very very popular in this part of the world and what they like to do here is serve it in little chocolate cups so uh, you get a little bit of a chocolate and cherry hit a chocolate and cherry bomb and I could stand here for hours but I'm not going to do that today I'm going to have a little bit of a walk around the castle walls here and just give you a little bit of insight into firstly Lisboa and these areas north of Lisboa, which is just full of fantastic things to see, all of them connected with the history of Portugal in different eras. So Lisboa itself, to be honest, two days should be enough to see Lisboa. You want to get to Belém and see Geronimus, of course. They've got an awesome carriage museum there with all the carriages they've collected from back in the day. Of course, you have the castle and uh, different districts like Alfama, different areas there to explore on foot. But really, two days is enough to see Lisboa. It's really interesting when you drive into these cities after being in rural areas, as I was the other day. You know, that transition from nice, peaceful, quiet country area to hustle and bustle and traffic jams and pollution and just a completely different socio-economic situation so as I say north of Lisbon it's just an endless amount of things to see there's a lot of tours if you got the car obviously that's the best way to do it so the first stop would be Sintra which is on the western side of Lisboa train is easily caught there you have Quinta de Regalela you have Castelo de Moros and the Palacio and then if you move up a little bit further you have Mafra a huge palace there another testament and monument to the incredible waste of money that certain Portuguese kings would uh, would spend on uh, basically for their own vanity and prestige and then you move a bit further up the coast you have Peniche which uh, is interesting for some of the Salazar era history and the political prison there you can also catch a little boat to take you out to a little island called Berlengish and if you like that uh, Alfred Hitchcock film, The Birds, then 
you can uh, relive that on the island of Belengish. And then, move up a bit further, you've got Nazare, which is the site of the biggest waves in the world. Big surfing action there. I'm sure you've seen it on, uh, on television, on YouTube. And you can go to the lighthouse there, an interesting museum. And Nazare itself is really pretty picturesque. And Seaside that monastery town. was built. And what's interesting about it is they've really held on to their history there and managed to avoid, you know, development and uh, investors, stuff like that. They've really held on to their, uh, their culture there, which is really, really good to see. That was actually the place I saw Portugal win the 2016 European Championship final, Nazare. So has a, another special meaning for me. And then from there, you're really cutting inland now and you're starting to see some of the places that are just really instrumental in the foundation of Portugal as a nation. You have Alcabasa, which is a huge monastery, which was uh, really, really important in the Catholicism and, and, and the Portugal's connection to that and the importance of that in, in, in Portugal. A little bit further over, you have Batalha, which is another massive monastery that was actually built to commemorate the, uh, the Battle of Al-Jubarota, which was a hugely important military victory over the Castilian faction. Uh, they were outnumbered and they managed to pull off quite a remarkable military victory to commemorate that victory. And now it houses the tombs of the Avish dynasty, in particular, Joao, Philippa and their children of course, one being Henry the Navigator. And then you move across again, and you have Tomar, which was the capital of the, uh, the Knights Templar. That's a whole other story, but a uh, really interesting story, the Knights Templar. And then you have uh, Fatima. So if you're uh, religiously inclined and you uh, believe all that, then Fatima is a good place for you to see, and even if you're not interested too much in religion it's also just interesting to see how the business has evolved around there and then you're pretty much heading back to Lisboa really there's uh, little little bits and pieces you've got the Torres de Vergeres which was a, a line of fortifications that were built in the early 19th century to protect Lisboa from the French army that was marching through I haven't seen that much of that myself but that will be for another time so, if you do come to Lisboa, as I say, a couple of days there and then get out of there. Head north. But like any place in the world, you really need to, well, to appreciate it fully, you, you need to do a little bit of research into history and understand who is buried at these places and their importance to, to Portugal's history. And then it's much easier to just piece it all together and to really get it into your memory how this nation was founded and all of the major events that happened here and all the characters that were instrumental in this country as I uh, continue my way around the walls here and you know looking into people's backyards see how they're living here you would have to assume it's just people living here for generation after generation I'm not sure who would willingly want to move to Abidos not so easy for vehicle access and things like that. You know, supermarkets, you, you've got to go a fair distance to, to find them, so it 
has its good and bad points. It's also very touristy here. Not so much at this time of year. I did see a, a group of tourists with, a, with their tour guide. They've obviously come up from Lisboa doing, seeing some of those places I've just mentioned. Um, and you will find in summer here that it, it is really quite busy. All the streets are pretty full, all the cafes and shops full. So another little tip, if you're going to see this part of Portugal or most parts of Portugal in the historical sense, you don't really want to be coming here <laughs> in the middle of summer. Number one, it's bloody hot. So you're going to be sweating a lot. And number two, it's just packed. And, you know, it's much better to enjoy these places where there's very few people around. And, you know, if you come at the right time, the weather's still going to be good. You're still going to get plenty of blue sky, plenty of sunshine. So, you know, that summer period is really for, for, for that beach action down in the Algarve. at the Estadio Dragão. Pretty happy they let me in this time. UEFA Europa League action. Porto hosting Lazio. Pretty annoyed Chiro Immobile is not here. Was looking forward to, uh, to seeing him in action. But regardless, my mate Fabio Vieira really looking forward to seeing him again. Joao Mario Another player in the under-21 side, Vitinha. He's on the bench, as is Francisco Conceição. I'm expecting some goals here. I think we'll have an open game. Let's see how we get on here in Porto. <laughs> 23 minutes in. Lazio taking the lead it's a short corner routine and it's Luis Alberto who's driven the ball in and Mattia Zacagni he's on hand at the near post to finish past Diogo Costa it was a pretty boring game for the first 23 minutes so hopefully now with Porto falling behind we'll start to see more action What a pass that is from Fabio Vieira. He's played in Pepe Aquino. And he's tried to lob the... Tried to chip it over the keeper. But uh, the ball's been cleared off the line. What a pass from Fabio Vieira. It's all happening now. Porto had a pretty good spell of pressure but Milinkovic Savage has just cut inside Zanussi and forced to save from Costa game's come alive here 33rd minute there we go it's an equaliser and it's a simple goal Juan Mario on the right wing delivers the cross into the box and Tony Martinez with a pinpoint accurate header 
Into the corner of the net. Second half underway here. Sergio Conceição making two changes. Galeno comes on for Marco Grijic, who picked up a yellow card. And Bettinia, he's on for Fabio Vieira. Looking forward to the second half here. didn't take long. Porto hit the front here. It's just, a, it's just another cross from Sean Mario and fallen nicely for Tony Martinez who finished past Stelagosha once again. He's definitely the man at the moment here, the Spanish striker. Galena's had a pretty bright start to the second half after coming on as a substitute. He's just raced clear and found Aquino, but his shot is miles away. Back from the stadium as Porto defeat Lazio 2-1. Really nothing happened in the final half an hour. Porto keeping Lazio at arm's length. The Italian club really missing Chiro Immobile up front. Maurizio Sarri will definitely be hoping Immobile is back for the second leg, but Conte South side in the driving seat. They know that a draw will take them through to the round of 16. I'm heading across town tomorrow. Don't have far to travel at all as Bol Vista host Benfica in the Primera Liga. show goes on. Estadio do Bessa Seculo 21. My first time inside the stadium. What a beauty. What a beauty. And Benfica, as you can imagine, have brought a fair few supporters. They're there behind I guess that's the northern stand. Well, wish the supporters behind the goal on the southern side. Panthers have been hard to beat since Petit took over in late November. And Benfica Really looking for some stability under Nelson Verissimo. Petar Musa scored in his last three games. And Darwin Nunez, I mean, he just can't stop scoring. Ten goals in his last seven matches in the Primera Liga. So we're about to kick off here and let's see what's going to go down.
the uh, Bowen Vista supporters are uh, joining in with the Benfica chant, but they changed it to Filha da Puta SLB, which is uh, quite amusing. Benfica have got into the danger zone quite a few times. Rafa Silva is looking likely to add to his impressive assist tally this season. Peda Musa just had a chance for Balvista straight at Lashomidos. 12 minutes in here in Porto. Gustavo Sawyer was just about to break free. Julian Weigel come across, just taking him out. And uh, that's about as obvious a yellow card as you'll ever see. Nelson Verissimo has just called Rafa Silva over to the uh, to the dugout there to give him some, him some instructions. You just got the feeling Rafa's going to create a goal. Benfica have taken the lead. It was a move down the left-hand side. Plenty of players involved. The move looked to have broken down with the ball coming across the face of the 18-yard box. And from a pretty difficult angle, Adel Tarapt has wrapped his right boot around it. And it's uh, been placed beautifully into the side of the goal. But Akali, really no chance there. And Benfica, 2-0 now in the 31st minute. Looked like Gonzalo Ramos with a, or Rafa Silva with a shot that was saved. But the ball just fell beautifully for Grimaldo, who was in the right spot. And he had a simple finish into what was basically an empty net. Oh, Vista were looking pretty good. Petr Musa just shot wide, so... They were getting themselves back into the game. Nathan looking pretty dangerous down the right side there, but that's a bit of a sucker punch, really. 15 minutes to go in the first half. Everton's just put the ball in the back of the net. It was Tarapt with a driving run forward. He's released Gonzalo Ramos, who uh, unselfishly squared the ball across to give Everton an easy finish, but it looks like uh, Ramos was offside. And he really shouldn't have been because he should have seen that a mile coming. And this is looking like it could get ugly for Bolvista here. Assuming this is going to be VAR, so it's probably pretty close. And now Darwin Nunez, he's gone through. Again, it was obviously offside, but he's put the ball in the back of the net, so... There's huge alarm bells ringing here for Bolvista, who really just need to get to half-time without conceding again. And there we have it, half-time. Benfica 2, Bolvista 0. What Benfica do really well is switch around their attack. Just before the second goal, you saw Rafa Silva move over to the left side. Gonzalo Ramos is okay and comfortable switching to the right side. Just after they did that, they scored the second goal. 
And then what, you, what you've also seen in the last few minutes before half-time is Everton moving over to the right side. So that's one thing I picked up here. I don't watch uh, Benfica very often. But that's something I really noticed. Their front four are very, very versatile. Well, Vicious started the second half really well. Peter Musa had a shot saved, and not sure if that was, looks like NG. Yeah. He's driven into the box, beat a couple of players. Looked like a penalty for sure. But the referees just told him to get up and move on. You can imagine the Balvista supporters not happy with that one. 62nd minute. We're having the first substitution from Petit. And it's NG coming off. No surprises there. He's been pretty ordinary. And it's got eight. Kenji got a, a Dutch winger coming onto the field. Still some hope here for Balvista, but they need to score soon. Crowd really feeling like almost every decision going against them. And it's really easy to see why there's so much perceived bias from referees. Uh, with the top three clubs favoured as the security have to go over there to try and calm down some Ben some Balvista supporters who are absolutely furious. You don't see that too often. But the supporters are uh, well, saying they're not happy would be an understatement. They're back in the game. Gustavo Sauer with a neat one-two with Peter Musa. And he's followed up, got the ball, and slammed it into the bottom corner. It's really the bow of the right side that's looked most likely all evening long. You've got Nathan, the, the right wing back, uh, Gustavo Sauer, and also when Peter Musa's hanging around there. It's always been their most likely avenue to goal, but beautiful goal. Benfica defence has caught asleep a little bit there, not following up on Sauer's run. But really, it was their own fault. They gave the ball away trying to play it out from the back and paid the price. Oh, oh wow. He's hit the post. Hamash. From the corner, he's just smashed it with his left foot from distance, and it's cannon back off the post. Gee, that was close. Unbelievable. They're coming home strong here, the Panthers in front of their home support. Game on. 78th minute, and Nelson Vidishmo, one of his... Well, it looks like one of his assistants has been sent off. So plenty of, uh, plenty of cards for the, uh, <laughs> for the coaches. Unbelievable. God A 
It's looked pretty good out on the left wing there since coming off the bench. He's driven into the box. And the ball has fallen to Makuta. Gaiosh Makuta. And he slammed it. Slammed it into the top corner. Fantastic. The, 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 the Eagles have just fallen apart. Benfica are just rattled. They look shell-shocked. Unbelievable. For the last 10, 15 minutes, they just... They've fallen apart. And Paul Vistra, you know, have used all of those decisions that they thought went against them. And all the support they're getting from, uh, from the fans here. And they've equalised. 2-2. With about eight minutes to go. What a game. It's all happening. Here we go. It is all happening. Just unbelievable. Benfica had a corner and it was cleared and then Belvista broke and cleared. They had a four on two overload but couldn't quite get the ball to a free player for a shot. Gustavo Sauer had the ball and looked like he was about to pull the trigger until Grimaldo came across and just took him out. And it's getting a little bit heated now. The cards are getting shown. Benfica completely rattled completely lost their composure but you've got to give credit to Balvista who have hung in this game hung in this game could take the lead here with five minutes to go it's a free kick from a glorious position Makuta and Hamash are the two candidates Hamash ooh he's gone for power and it's gone over the bar Nathan just released Sauer into the box he's Get the ball and managed to get it to Peter Musa, who's fired over the bar. This right side from Balvista is just devastating. Uh, due to all those three players I just mentioned. 90th minute. Will Benfica steal it as Nunes runs clear? Oh, he's taken out. Taken out by Hamash. Edge of the 18-yard box. And this will be a dangerous free kick. Darwin Nunez. Let's see what he tries to do here. We've got a player on the ground in case he goes, tries to go under the wall. Here we go. No, it's over the bar. And that's it. 2-2. What a game. What a game. Easily the best game I've seen since arriving in Portugal. I mean, Benfica looked in complete control in the first half. 2-0 after 30 minutes it was. But credit to Balvisha, they hung in there. You'd have to say fair result due to Balvisha's tenacity and courage in the final 20 minutes. They just keep proving hard to beat under Petit. That's another draw. I mean, they love a draw. And I really enjoyed my first trip here to the Estadio do Bessa, Seculo 21 full-on old-school stadium in the box shape in a residential neighbourhood. And I've got a fair few games coming up in the weekend. And I'll speak to you later.
it's an absolutely beautiful day in northern Portugal. Sun is shining, blue sky, and I'm back in Barcelos. Really beautiful part of the country up here. And a beautiful town, situated on the Cabo River. Very, very historic part of Portugal. And of course, famous for the, or the infamous, should I say, story about a pilgrim who was on his way to, I assume, Santiago de Compostela. He was accused of theft. The judge sentenced him to hang. He pleaded his innocence and said that if he was innocent, the rooster at the judge's dinner would crow three times as proof of his innocence. Well, the rooster crowed and the judge released him and it's become a huge story all over Portugal and every single souvenir you see will basically have something to do with the rooster. I'm back to see Gil Vicente. Beautiful, beautiful stadium here. Estadio Cidade de Barcelos. They're flying up in fifth, Gil Vicente. I saw them last week in Vizela. They won 1-0. They've got a few issues here with top scorer Fran Navarro suspended. We get to see 23-year-old Colombian striker Juan Calero. He gets his first start of the season. And something tells me that Samuel Lino is going to have a lot more chances today against uh, Belenenses side rock bottom of the Primera Liga. They've got the worst attack in the league, but they did manage to beat Vitoria Kimaraes 1-0 at home last time out. I'm expecting a comfortable home win here. I think most people would be. Opposite me, I can see into the distance with the hills leading into the western part of Portugal. Really, really pretty stadium on the northern part of Barcelos. And I'm really looking forward to this one. The referee here, João Pedro Pinheiro, it's the same clown that officiated the Porto Sporting match last week. He's booked Ricardo Suarez. Maybe the FBF have told him to grow some balls, but uh, this referee sucks. Half-time in Barcelos, 0-0. Obviously, Gilbert are a better team, but they haven't been able to score. They came close, Pedrinho with that shot just outside the 18-yard box. Villanenses finished the half quite well, but most of that was on the back of some pretty ordinary officiating. So let's see what's going to go down here in the second half. Desperately close for Gil Vicente. It's a free kick from the right wing, Pedrinho of course. And it's taken a touch off one of the Belenenses defenders and just missed the post. It's a corner from the far side in front of the, uh, <laughs> the Gil Vicente ultras. There's about let's say 15 of them, and one of them is banging his drum. Good to see, good to see. They're gonna have a couple of substitutions here from Gil Vicente. Well, for sure, Elder Santana's gonna come on and replace Juan Coleto. And it looks like we're gonna have another substitution as well, very shortly, with just over 20 minutes to go here in Barcelona. There it is, 
just before he was about to get substituted. That's one Coledo. It was a nice bit of play, really. The ball fell to Samuelino. Everybody thought he was going to take a shot himself, but he was a bit too smart. And he just rolled it across to Coledo. And he's side-footed that into the corner of the net. It was coming, you'd have to say. But it's a little ironic that he scored literally a second before he was about to be substituted. He's, he's doing a little dance here. Very nice. Making his first start. Fantastic to see. And Ricardo Suarez is going to reconsider those substitutes, I would imagine. As he comes over and gives his manager a nice hug. Great to see. We're going to have a triple substitution here from Ricardo Suarez. And it is Calero now. It's coming off. Elder Santana is coming on. We're seeing Loite, who's looked really good in the second half. He's coming off. Bilal Awasharia is coming on. And Fujimoto. He's off. And coming on is Mateusz Bueno. That'll be the end of this one. It's Sir Carlos, who's been really good all day. That right back, he's got forward and delivered the ball into the box where Elder Santana is headed at home. Not long after coming onto the pitch, Belenich looking very deflated here. It'll be a miracle if they can score two goals in just over 10 minutes. And there it is. Well deserved you would have to say. I mean, they're just flying the Galistisch. That takes them now up to 40 points. One point behind Balaga. Balaga with a game in hand. So their quest for European football is well and truly on here in Barcelos. It's fantastic to see. I really enjoyed my time here. Second trip to this very pretty stadium. And I'm off to Gimadash. Just come back from the match in Gimadash. They lost 3-1 against Aruka. And I'm honestly struggling to think of words to describe just how bad Gimaraj are. I mean, I saw Aruka the other day at home and they were completely outclassed by Manitimo. And I just come from Gilbercent, uh, who were way too good for Belanenses. And Gimaraj now have lost against both those teams, both the teams in the relegation zone. I was really quite surprised when Gimaraj hired Pepper. I remember seeing his team in uh, Pasos de Freda. And look, they weren't bad, but after talking to a lot of people in, uh, in one of the bars next to the stadium, I mean, everybody here has just given up on this team. So many people in the stadium are waving the white flags after the match. The pessimism 
surrounding this team is just incredible. And one one person actually just said, look, the president's got to go. And it's hard not to sort of think that this whole club is just needs a huge reboot, needs a reset, needs a clean out in, in the higher echelons of management. I mean, they were just terrible, terrible. You've got to give Aruka credit, they, they took their chances, but Gimanaish is just a fantastic city, it really is. The old town, you know, the history here, really the birthplace of Portugal and Dom Afonso. Fiercely independent, you know, you're just not going to find Benfica bars or Porto bars here, they would just get demolished within one day. There's a lot to like about this place and so much passion, so much devotion for their team and they just deserve something better. It seems like this club have just settled for mediocrity, really. This club should be fighting with Braga for the fourth spot. I'm really just flabbergasted after what I've just seen. I just can't believe it. I think some of my perception was shaped by the, the press area here, which is just the worst. I don't know who the hell thought designing this press area at the stadium was a good idea. I mean, it's way down low, which wouldn't be too bad if you were closer to the pitch, but it's far away from the pitch. And to make it even worse, they, they put a, a glass window in front of it, so you can't hear the crowd whatsoever. All you can hear is the TV and radio commentators and the other journalists speaking. It's just a bizarre experience. And from my perspective, I don't want to sound ungrateful, obviously, at all. I'm, a, I'm appreciative that I was a, afforded uh, accreditation for this match, but never again, never again. If I ever come to Gimenez again, I will just buy, buy a ticket you know, to sit in the stand, you know. Hugely disappointing on so many levels, but I guess Gil Vicente was awesome. That experience today, I really enjoyed going to Barcelos. I had a bit of time there to have a look around again. A little bit disappointing, I, I must say. When you're crushing so many games as I am, there's really not much time at all to, to look to look around and to, you know, appreciate some of these fantastic places in Portugal. Fortunately, I've been to uh, to Guimarães a few times, but still, it feels a bit sad to come here and kind of in and out, you know. So something to remember also if you if you, if you come to Portugal to watch some games. Um, good to sort of take your time and really have some time to explore these places, learn about the history, see the sights, take it all in. I'm still just just completely shocked after what I've just seen. I just I'm just uh, I've got no words really. Although I just <laughs> I just gave you quite a lot. So I'm out. I got a huge day tomorrow. I've got action packed day on Sunday. So I'm going to get a good night's sleep and uh, wake up and be ready to go for that one. Alrighty, I'm out. Catch ya.